You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everyone. What an incredible day. Can we give it up for everyone who got baptized this morning one more time? What an amazing uh, opportunity this is today uh, to get to celebrate. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, the last few weeks, we had Easter. And last week, we had this uh, little-known guy named Brian Head Welch. Um, and he, you know, did an okay job, right? Um, but uh, what an incredible couple weeks we've had. But we've been talking through a series called The Dawn is Rising, talking about a hope that shines in the darkness. And, and today... Uh, I want to share something with you, and I, I don't want to talk to you today about possibilities, what's practical, or even what's logical. And if you're looking for that, I'm sorry, but you've come to the wrong place today. I'm not talking uh, about being detached from reality or living according to something that is not real, but I want to talk to you about something that is a whole different level of a reality, a higher level of reality. There are reasons why we can't, why we shouldn't, and why we won't do all kinds of things. But today, I wanna to talk to you about the reasons why you can, why you will, and why you should. In, in the presidential election, 1948, uh, the incumbent Harry S. Truman had taken office just a few years earlier in 1945 when the president at the time, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, had passed away. Uh, he uh, was, had been the president through the end of World War II, if you're familiar. And despite all of that, he had found himself running a seemingly impossible campaign to win the presidency against New York Governor Thomas Dewey. Because of the circumstances that had unfolded, victory looked like a foregone conclusion for Thomas Dewey. Uh, he consequently ran a pretty uninspiring, risk-averse campaign. In fact, one local newspaper summed up his four basic speeches in four sentences. They were this, agriculture is important, our rivers are full of fish, you cannot have freedom without liberty, and the future lies ahead. While this was happening, and he was pretty much uh, throwing in the towel because he had basically won the race already, Truman, on the other hand, was, had launched into a very active, overcome the odds kind of campaign. Uh, this, the, the president embarked on a whistle-stop tour, traveling across America by train and giving speeches in which he spoke out against the current establishment. What it became known as the Give Him Hell Harry uh, slogan uh, that his supporters gave him uh, was him working to overcome all the doubts regarding his ability to lead the nation. And in spite of all the activity that Truman put in, uh, heading into election day on November 2nd, 1948, it still seemed uh, pretty much impossible for anyone else to win. Everyone was still predicting Thomas Dewey was gonna be the next president of the United States. Most polls and pundits were predicting a win by this Michigan native and New York governor, Thomas Dewey. But as the now famous photograph would show, everyone, including the editors of the Chicago Tribune, they all got it wrong. The surprise victory by this plain-spoken nominee from Independence, Missouri, Harry S. Truman, would become one of the biggest upsets in U.S. presidential history. And it would forever be memorialized because of the embarrassing newspaper gaffe. And, and Truman's victory ultimately happened because of both his hard work, but also his unwillingness to cave to the doubters that had all but given up on him and given the victory to his opponent. 
Now, we see stories like this throughout sports history, if you like sports, and I love sports, or, or even military history. In fact, in his book called David and Goliath, author Malcolm Gladwell makes this statement about his study of the underdogs and misfits of history that have overcome the odds. Here's what he said. He said, we are all, we are all of us not merely liable to fear, we are also prone to be afraid of being afraid. And the conquering of fear produces exhilaration. The contrast between the previous apprehension and the present relief and feeling of security promotes a self-confidence that is the very father and mother of courage. And it's true. We've all had doubters in our lives. You've had doubters in your life. Maybe the doubters in your life have been your parents. Maybe it's been people in authority over your life or, or, or you know, people from teachers to coaches to bosses in your life. Maybe you've had doubters in your group of friends, maybe those that you're leading. And maybe the doubters in your life were the, the mistakes you've made in your past that seem to have disqualified you. The truth is about, about hearing that you're incapable and, and what you're incapable of is that these aren't necessarily signs of your incapability. I think there's something different. See, instead of these things, these doubts that people have being a sign that, that you're not capable, I think they're a sign that you're actually embarking on something that's greater than yourself. And if, if there isn't a better description of what we were created to do, I can't think of one. You were created to do something that is bigger than yourself, greater than yourself. And I don't care what others have said about you or said to you. This morning, as we just take these few moments together, can I kind of throw the cards on the table and just be up front with you? You know, we've been talking about this month, this dawn that is rising, this hope that we can all possess because of what Jesus has done for us. And let me be up front with you about my intentions in our brief time together today. I'm not here to remind you of what's not possible in our world. With all the obstacles, all the issues, given the resources available to you and, and the abilities you possess, there are enough in our world that have filled the air with all of the things that are impossible. We can find that anywhere. Let's instead, let's talk about the man who once said, with man this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Let's stop settling for what's easy, for what our circumstances or even wisdom tells us we should do or what we can do. Let's be dreamers, people who are willing to overcome the odds, people who stop listening to the doubters and start pursuing the impossible. I, I love this quote by author George Bernard Shaw. Here's what he said. He said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. Makes sense. The reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. What if today, you and I, what, what if we could be those unreasonable people in our world? That don't go with logic, that don't listen to all of the, the, the wisdom that's out there necessarily, but we're willing to strive to do impossible things, what others have said can't be done. Now, some of you have maybe heard this before, but, but many call religion a crutch for the weak. That, that it's simply a framework created to bring peace to the anxious or that gives human beings a secure box to live within, a, a place where, where they can find safety. Maybe you've said that, maybe you believe that yourself. Maybe, maybe that's true, though, for, for some of the religions in our world, but, 
if, if I uh, get this right, I, I don't think anything could be further from the truth from what you read about in this book we call the Bible. That it's just a safe box that we live in. It's just a place to calm our anxieties. The men and women that I read about in this book that, that would do impossible, often unthinkable things, even in the face of all the people and circumstances and wise counsel that they shouldn't, that they couldn't, and, and that failure was inevitable. Uh, these are the people we read about in the Bible. Uh, without people more committed to their dreams and their callings than the doubts swirling around them, we would never have the stories of David defeating Goliath or, or of Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in only 52 days or, or Esther overcoming the genocide plot of Haman. This book that we call the Bible is just as full of doubters and doubts as we might have today. But it is equally filled with the feats accomplished through the power of God in defiance of those very same doubts. And today, my hope in these brief moments we have is to speak this into you. That you can be a defiant person, an unreasonable person, a person that overcomes the doubts and the odds that are swirling around you and stacked against you. In fact, one of my favorite people in all of scripture is a guy by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas was, was such a really neat man, not, not because of his talent or his skill, but because of how he used his influence. And I think if there is a resource that sometimes we miss and overlook, we miss the power and weight of, it's our influence. When, when there were doubters, people questioning, Barnabas seemed to always migrate toward the one being doubted and spoke godly hope and possibility into them. It was a, a trait of his. In fact, his name literally means son of encouragement. This was, this was who he was. Uh, just look at how uh, he would do this with what would eventually become one of the most important figures in the entire New Testament. If you're not familiar, there's two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament, the first part, and the New Testament, the second part, which in the New Testament's when the church was, was birthed. And, and, and this man that, that Barnabas would come alongside is a man who was at that time known as Saul. Saul was an incredibly well-educated man, but he was also a very scary dude if you were a follower of Jesus. This is the last guy you would want to run into. If you were following Jesus at this time and you happened to run into Saul, you would most likely end up in prison or worse, stoned to death. This, this wasn't a guy you want to meet. Needless to say, he wasn't someone that had a great reputation among the Christian community in this part of the first century. But then the seemingly impossible moment unfolds where Saul has a supernatural encounter with Jesus and commits to following Jesus. The one who is persecuting followers of Jesus would now become a follower of Jesus himself. But people, people at this time weren't buying it. He had done too much. He had hurt too many people. Christians kept their distance. They, they said, hey, we, we don't trust this yet. Let, let's stay a little bit further away. That was everyone except for one guy. This guy named Barnabas, and we see it recorded in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Here's what, here's what took place. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. This is speaking of Saul. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They thought, hey, this guy's going to infiltrate his way into the Christian community, and then he's going to get us all imprisoned or killed. And, and they're keeping their distance. They're like, no way. But listen to this, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him. Did you see that? Barnabas took him and brought him. He put his arm around him and said, come with me, buddy. 
He's, he took them to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, uh, we see something transpire that's really important and I think you, you can miss it. Barnabas puts his name on the line for, for Paul, for Saul here. That means that Barnabas had a name. He had some measure of influence with the apostles who were the leaders of the church at that time that he was willing to, to say, you know what? You might not believe him, but why don't you just believe me? Take, take my word for it. And he takes him, puts his arm around him, takes him into the apostles and says, listen to me. And listen to what took place, verse 28. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Look, look at what, Look at what he was able to do because Barnabas didn't believe the doubts, didn't believe what everyone was saying about him. And because Barnabas was willing to believe in this guy that others had doubted, this guy named Saul, who we know today as Paul, would go on to be one of the greatest human forces for advancing the gospel in the first century. In fact, he would write 13 of the 27 books that are now in the New Testament. It's almost half the New Testament. The, the Apostle Paul that we know today, did that. But, but none of that would have happened if Barnabas hadn't stepped out. Think about how the opening chapters of the church's story would have been drastically different if Paul, Paul had listened to all the doubters, if he had listened to all the experts, all the people who knew what was right and, and, and logical to do. And, and what's really interesting about Paul's story is what took place just a little while later. As Paul started traveling on his various missionary journeys, he began to start churches, raise up leaders, and he would often have a team of people traveling with him. Now, if you're a manager or a boss, you oversee people, you understand the challenges of this. this is, there's a tension here. You want to do what's best for your company, for your business, for your team, whatever industry you're in, and we have to make judgment calls sometimes. Like, you can't say yes to everybody, right? There's a cost to that. There's a, there's a risk to that. Paul here, there's this guy named John Mark, and, and Paul wasn't real thrilled with what John Mark had done. And Paul makes a decision to doubt him, to doubt his abilities, to doubt what was possible. And, and, and what was ironic about this is Paul was doing to John Mark what had been done to him. And just in the same way, this guy, Barnabas, stands up for John Mark. Ironically, this disagreement was all about who are you believing? What are the doubts that someone's having against someone? It was Paul now on the other end. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So Paul had traveled all over the Roman Empire. He had preached the gospel. He had started new churches. And you might not know this, but pretty much most of the books that Paul wrote, we call them epistles, which are letters written by an apostle. They were letters written to the churches that Paul had started. So Philippians is written to the church in Philippi, and Corinthians is written to the church in Corinth, and Galatians was written to the church in Galatia, and so on and so forth. And, and, and they wanted, to, Paul's like, Paul and Barnabas are like, hey, let's, let's go visit these churches and see how they're doing, encourage them, and, 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 and let them know we're praying for them. Verse 37, on this trip, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him. Can you say that, did not think it wise? Can you say, did not think it wise? There's a lot of wisdom in our world, and man, we need wisdom, right? But can I tell you, wisdom isn't always everything. 
Paul thought it was not wise to take John Mark because he had deserted him in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Paul's like, hey, hey, Barnabas, here's the deal. I was with John Mark, he was with me. We were in this city and John Mark deserted us. I'm not doing that again. Fool me once, okay, that's the deal. You're not gonna fool me twice. We're not, we're, not, we're not doing this again. We're not taking a chance on him again. We, we tried this once and, and, and Paul's like, absolutely not. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, so they go on their own trip. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This disagreement between Paul and Barnabas would be so significant This is the very last time the name Barnabas is even mentioned in scripture. Never hear from Barnabas again. But Paul, Paul, he was a man of God. Paul wasn't just an angry man. He wasn't just like trying to do what was wise, but he he listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And and Paul made this decision. Him and Silas went one way. Paul, or Barnabas and and John Mark went the other way. Um, But he knew what it was like to face the doubters and the questions and the reasons why he wasn't capable of doing what God put on his heart. And we see this thing come full circle. Near the end of Paul's life, he's writing a letter to his, his uh, protege, a guy named Timothy. And Timothy, at this time, was pastoring the church in Ephesus, which we know today the book of Ephesians was written to. And, and, and Timothy's pastoring this church, and, and Paul wrote two letters that we know as 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. The second one, he's writing to Timothy to encourage him to help him as he's pastoring this congregation. And, and uh, 2 Timothy is really interesting and important because this is the last recorded letter we have of Paul's. <clears throat> Paul would uh, be uh, persecuted, he would be killed for his faith shortly after this, history would tell us. So, so some of his final words, Paul is writing to Timothy. Here's what he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. That's the same Luke that wrote the book of Luke. <clears throat> Get Mark, he's speaking of John Mark, and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And it's interesting for Paul where things have come full circle. He recognized, hey, I know I didn't give this guy a chance, but you know what? I see the value God has in him. God has a calling on his life. God has a promise for his life. And I'm gonna believe in it. I I don't know where you sit today, what you're walking through, what's on your heart, what God has spoken into your life the dreams God has given you, the things that might seem a little outrageous or like a little bit of a stretch that you've said no to. You've walked away from. Why? Because of wisdom, because of uh, what everyone's saying about you, what everyone's telling you. What What if God was calling you to do something greater than yourself? That's why it seems so impossible. What if God's calling you to do something that, yeah, probably isn't, isn't possible in, in human sense. But with God's help, all things are possible. You know, it's so easy. It's so easy as human beings to believe the doubts, to allow the doubts to start to deconstruct what God has spoken to you, to start questioning the logic, the practicality and reasonability of God's dreams, callings, intentions for your life. Like it's so easy to do because it makes sense. It's logical, it's how our brains are wired. And we've all been there. There are things you've done or maybe things you haven't done that seemingly disqualify you from pursuing something God has spoken to you. There are millions of reasons why you can't, why you shouldn't, why it wouldn't be prudent to do so, and and there's never-ending list of people who are ready and willing to tell you so. 
And, and please hear me. I'm not discounting the importance of wise counsel, listening to those you respect and who you trust their spiritual maturity. That's so important. But there are often so many ready to throw in the towel for you, ready to wave the white flag and give up what God wants to do in you and through you. See, the God we serve, the God we sang about today, the God that transformed the lives of each person that was baptized today, this God takes the underdogs of our world, the overlooked, the ones that shouldn't, couldn't, and can't do so many things, and every time he proves them all wrong. This is what God does. If you read Genesis to Revelation, you're not gonna read the story of men and women who had it all together, who everyone was pinning as the great person or the right one or the next leader or, or, or this person or that that's gonna do great things. Like, if you read this book, you're reading about people who are overlooked, who are underdogs, who everyone else had given up on except for God. Like, God didn't give up on them. Think about this. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, He's born to Mary and Joseph. He, he becomes an adult at age 30. He knows he's going into ministry and he's gonna have three years, three years on this earth to start something that's supposed to last thousands of years. Three years. Put that on your like company business startup plan. Three years to start something that's gonna last thousands. That's pretty crazy. If you're gonna do that, you wanna pick the best of the best, Right? Go to Harvard and Yale and all of those places and you want to find like your best graduates who are top of their class, who've proven themselves, who have a good track record, who, who have all of the good references and like they've got it all together. But that's not what Jesus did. He actually did the opposite. He found all the dropouts. He found the guys that weren't good enough. They didn't make the cut. And if you know anything about kind of Jewish structure in that time, all of the men that he chose as his disciples didn't make the cut educationally. That's why they were working in the trades, because they weren't good enough to make it. They didn't pass the tests. They didn't make the grade. And Jesus goes to the tradesmen. He goes to the ones that were outcast. He picks a stinking tax collector. Like, that was the worst of the worst. If he could have picked anyone, it was a tax collector. That was the worst person he could have picked, and he picks him, and he writes a gospel. Like, Jesus doesn't pick people and choose them and call them to do things based on what others are saying. Did you know that Jesus doesn't sit on his phone and scroll Instagram and Facebook and see how many likes you have or how many followers you have and see, see like if, if you're the right person for him to, to call and to do something? That doesn't mean you can post anything, okay? It's not your excuse. But Jesus doesn't do that. He calls the unlikely ones. He calls the outcasts. He calls the overlooked ones. He calls the ones that everyone else has given up on. And why I tell you that is because we all have people who doubt us. They, they question us. And that, that's okay. It's good to have, you know, good input. But, but when we start to believe the doubts, when we start to believe the lies, when we start to believe the wisdom of this world, you know what happens? We'll never see anything beyond what we already have. Today, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you to be a little unreasonable, to be willing to choose a path that's paved by the promises of God, not the pronouncements of the doubters around you. As the worship team comes, here's the deal, church. We aren't called by God to do what's easy, what's simple, or even what makes logical sense. If you went to, by those guidelines, do you know most of the Bible would be invalid? 
Most of the things that, 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 that God did throughout scripture and church history would be invalid. And can I, can I take it a step further? If, if you went by the guidelines of simply doing what's easy, simple, or even makes logical sense, most of us sitting here in this room, watching one of the shelters today, not, most of us would have no hope for our future if that were the case. But here's the good news, that's not the truth. God has called us to live a life that diminishes the doubters, that overcomes the odds, that rises above the attacks, the circumstances and the reasons why we can't do something. And today, I'm here to ask you this simple question. What is the impossible thing God is calling you to do? What is the impossible thing God is calling you to do? What do you need to start doing to overcome the odds, to overcome the doubts, to not prove everyone else wrong? Because that's what it feels like. Like, I'm gonna prove them wrong. I'm gonna show them. How do you like me now, right? That's what we wanna do. It's not about that. It's not trying to prove everyone wrong. It's about proving God right. That God saw something in you. He called you. And, And for some of you, You're here today for a lot of different reasons, a lot of circumstances that may have brought you here. But can I step back for a second and tell you why you're really here? God has you here. Whether you came for whatever reason, God has you here today. Maybe you're one of the shelters, you're there today. Why? Because God wants you to hear this. He believes in you. You may have never heard that before from anyone in your life. He believes in you. He doesn't believe all the lies. He doesn't believe what every adult in your life has told you. He believes in you. In spite of your church history or lack of thereof, in spite of your family history and maybe addiction or alcoholism in your family's past, anger issues, in spite of your financial situation, your job situation, in spite of what's going on in your relationships, God believes in you and he hasn't given up on you. He's never gonna give up on you. And and you're here today to get your attention. This was God's way of getting your attention so that you could hear this, that he loves you, he believes in you, and he's never gonna give up on you. And what I'm asking you to do today is to be willing to take a step of faith into that impossible dream God has for you. There's something that seems so far gone in your life that you've given up on. And God is saying, don't give up because I'm not giving up on you. And if you're here today, the first impossible dream that God has for each and every one of us as human beings is that he could love us and he could forgive us. Maybe maybe you weren't a murderer like Paul was. Paul was a murderer. He had murdered Christians, God's own people. God could forgive him. If God could forgive him, he can forgive us. And and the first impossible dream that we have to realize is that God can forgive you. Not only forgive you, like like your slate is wiped clean, but he actually wants to write something on that slate that is greater than anything you could ever imagine. The Bible says that it's like a story that he's writing on your heart. God has a story he wants to write for your life. And you've you've pronounced the end of the story. Like this is the final chapter. Uh, nothing's ever gonna get better than this. This is the way it's always gonna be. And God's saying, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second here. This is a choose your own adventure story and I get to choose the end of the adventure. And I have a better ending for you if you're willing to let me write the story. And if you're here today, the first impossible dream that God has for you is that you could be his 
his, his uh, child, his son, his daughter, he, meaning that he loves you and he forgives you and he believes in you, has a purpose for your life, that all that you've gone through, he has a purpose and he wants to redeem it, to do impossible things. If you could bow your heads with me this morning, I just wanna pray for you. God, I thank you for your love and your grace. Most importantly, God, I thank you that you don't give up on us, that you love us, that you see us through, and God, that you have never allowed the doubts, the reasons why, to ever keep you from giving up on us. Lord, you have such a future for us, and I pray for those that are here watching online or one of the shelters that the impossible dream you have for us is just to accept your forgiveness and to live our lives in light of that forgiveness. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here and you say, Nick, I've never... I've never really gone to church much. I never really, I'll do, I'm not a church person, but man, I have so much in my life, so many reasons why I shouldn't be in church, so many reasons why God shouldn't love me, why, why God could, couldn't forgive me. I can't even forgive myself. God will always be the first one to forgive you because he created you and he shaped you and he formed you and he loves you and he wants the best for you. And if you're here this morning and you've never taken the step to say, Jesus, I wanna accept your forgiveness. I wanna accept your belief in me, your view of me, not my view, not what others see in me. I wanna accept your view of me, that I could be a child of God. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna count to three. And on three, I just want you to reach your hand toward heaven. And then we're gonna pray together. We're not gonna embarrass you, we just wanna pray together. If that's you this morning, on count of three. One, two, three. Just reach your hand toward heaven this morning. Amen, amen. Anyone else today? Amen, amen. You can put your hands down today. I'm gonna ask everyone to pray this prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or not. And, and, and prayer, if you're not familiar with it, is just a conversation with God, and I'm just gonna lead you in that conversation. And, and for those of you that maybe you're not like praying types of people, my hope is that maybe this could be the first of many times you can have some conversations with God, where you can talk to him about the good things happening in your life and the bad things and the difficult things, and you can actually have a conversation with your creator. Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear God, Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for loving me even when I was unlovable. Thank you for forgiving me for the things I've done wrong. This morning, I accept your forgiveness. I commit from this day on to pursue your purpose for my life. Give me the strength and the courage to not give up, to follow through with every commitment I make. Help me to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.